Bible on it. Let's hold it up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now turn to your neighbor and say, Whew, I love you. Now, give a little fist pound to your neighbor over there. That'll help this front row up here. Just they need fist pound. I'd say give I'd say give them a hug, but then they don't want to hug each other. So <clears throat> we're in Act Two of our series, the story. Uh, all of these messages are online at rlccjinx.org, and there'll be some tabs at the top that says online features. Touch that, and the sermons pop up. And then you can go through the sequence and listen to them. And uh, I just pray that you will do that. If you miss one, that you'll grab uh, that. We try to have the uh, sermon outline along with the uh, message itself for you to uh, grow from. Uh, we're going to be in chapter four of the story. And uh, got some good momentum going. We're journeying chronologically through the Bible. Uh, how many of you are still doing good preparation, reading the chapter prior to coming? Good. Do that. Uh, if you don't have a copy, you can download it in a Kindle version. Uh, I think it's free or at least real cheap. Six, 769. Get it before it goes up more. Okay. But uh, I want you to keep reading and staying up with us, and it's, it's great. In the past couple of chapters, God's been choosing a rather unlikely uh, cast of characters for his story. Abraham and Sarah, this elderly and fertile couple, he said, you're going you're gonna to be a father of many nations. <laughs> and uh, we know how that went. <clears throat> and uh, last week we learned about this spoiled boy named Joseph, who was uh, his dad's uh, favorite, and the brothers who were jealous and sold him into slavery. And eventually he's thrown into prison, and then God somehow elevates him to be vice president over Egypt and uh, to save the land from the great famine that came and to save God's people as well. And so what we keep seeing is that in spite of distresses in life and in spite of man's condition, God weaves it all together and somehow works good from all of it. Are you finding that true in your own life? Amen. He will. He did with the storms of life thousands of years ago. We trust that He will do with the storms that we face even today. Isaiah 55, 8 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So there's times when you don't have an answer. Have you discovered that? Trust the Lord. Lean on the Lord. It doesn't make sense. Lean on the Lord. Trust the Lord. Because He knows much more than we do. Now the upper story, you know, remember we've talked about the upper story and the lower story. The upper story is how God's weaving things and the lower story is where we're at. But in the upper story that God's unfolding and, and the unlikely individual this week that we're going to study about is a guy named Moses. A very unlikely character to pull off what God needed done. So Moses' story 
tied in with the Israelites, it's, it's really amazing. Because they were in captivity. They were in Egypt, they were in captivity. And some people say, well, was it 400 years or 424 or 34 years? Well, God told Moses that they'd be in captivity for 400 years. So let's just go with what God said. Now, if it's a little bit longer, that's how man does things. We, we tend to make it a little bit longer. But um, Pharaoh is the leader of Egypt, and Pharaoh really means king. But the Pharaoh of Egypt didn't like the massive numbers of Israelites, the Jewish people, so he began to weed them out. There were some two to three million at this point in the story. That's a lot of people. So he thought, I need to keep control of these folks. I mean, after all, there are slave labor here, but if we get... If there's too many of them, they'll outnumber us and they'll overpower us and here we go. So he decides that he's going to take all the Hebrew baby boys for a period of time and just kill them right up front. And so that hateful plan by a brutal man was going to include Moses. Moses' mother gave birth to him during this time. And because of the Pharaoh's edict, Moses should have been killed. But she hides him. And when he gets a little older, little babies don't understand that they can't be loud all the time because they think they can be loud anytime. And just when you want them to be quiet, they get loud. Especially at 3 o'clock in the morning when they're not supposed to be loud, but they get loud. And parents come look at them with the, with the well, never mind. You, you know what look you look at them with. But she's a very wise woman, his mother. And so... She knows that Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the Nile River to bathe every day. And in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 3, we said, but we find, but when she had, she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby, comes home, Daddy, 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 can I keep him? Can I keep him? Can I keep him? It's not a puppy, but she kind of treated him like, and of course, as daughters can, even with mighty men like Pharaoh, they can bat their eyes just right. They can look at those big brown eyes just right. And dads will say, eh, okay. Even though Pharaoh knew this was a Hebrew child, he said, yeah, what's one? It, it'll be all right. And so they name him Moses, which means out of the water or to draw out of the water. Now Moses is raised in royalty. Somewhere along the line, he discovers, however, that He's really a Hebrew person. But at one point in adulthood, he goes to Goshen to visit his people, and he sees a Hebrew being mistreated by an Egyptian taskmaster, and a fight ensues, and Moses kills this Egyptian leader, and he thinks that only a handful of people have seen what happened. But we find in Exodus 2 and verse 15, this. When Pharaoh heard what had happened, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses escaped from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. So he lives there kind of hiding for the next... 40 years. It's not just a day or two. It's 40 years he stays hidden out in Midian among the Israelites and he becomes a shepherd. And it's a distinct contrast in his life now from being the palace to the plains. <laughs> and he's among the shepherds, among the attending sheep. But then one day in miraculous fashion, God speaks to him in a burning bush. Now, the bush is not being consumed. Now, you all know this story, right? And so he comes and God's talking to him. And in fact, in Exodus 3, 7, it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. 
And Moses is thinking, well, sure glad you are. It's about time. Haven't heard from you in a while. So God says down in verse 10, So now Moses, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. (laughs) It's one thing to complain. It's another thing to be held responsible to go get it done. So, you see, we all want the church to grow. But whose responsibility is that? Oh, well, that's what you pay the staff for. Staff are supposed to do it. Really? Wow. Okay. So we reproduce ourselves. What about the rest of you? You see what I'm saying? It's all about each of us have a responsibility. Each of us have to bring people to the church and to the Lord. I've never seen a church that's growing yet that people aren't bringing people to the church. Now, you've obviously got a fabulous pastor. You obviously have. There's no doubt in your mind about how fabulous he must be. As my wife is gagging in the back here. But what follows with Moses in the rest of the conversation becomes an honest exchange between God and Moses. And I know I see myself a lot in this story. Moses says to God, well, who am I? I can't do this. Who am I to stand against Pharaoh? Who am I to stand against the Egyptians? And God says, well, I will be with you. And Moses says, well, I can't answer the questions. And God says, I'll provide the answer. You tell them I am who I am sent you. Now, that's not a Popeye commercial. I am that I am. I am that I am sent you. So the Lord goes on to say, Moses, I'll do great things through you. Moses continues to try and weasel out of it. Just like we do. Moses is saying, just little old me, how can I make a difference? What, what difference can I make? So the Lord reveals to Moses three different miraculous ways in which he would be able to convince the Israelites that this really was God's plan. I want you to write this somewhere in your margin on your outline. Three miraculous ways. Just put three, the number three, and then put number one, staff. He tells Moses, throw a staff down. Staff becomes a snake. Then he says, reach down and grab the snake by the tail. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not a snake guy. I I just never have been. Don't like them. God cursed the snake. I'm with God. That's the one time I go with God the whole way. I don't. I grew up in, in in Texas, and especially a snake that has a rattle on the end of it. You don't want to grab those. Don't let those go. Black ones that open their mouth and it's all white. You don't want to be near those either. Now, little green ones that climb through your garden. I've to, I'm told that it's okay. The only good snake is a dead snake, as far as I'm concerned. I, if it's that long, it looks like it's that long. It looks like it's that round and it could swallow any of us whole. So Moses, reluctantly, but he, can you, I can just see him going, well, get, get it where? By the tail. Sure. But he does. He eventually gets it by the tail and it becomes a staff again. Well, oh, that's awesome. So then he says, put your hand inside your, co- your coat. So he does that. He says, now pull it out. So he pulls it out. And all of a sudden, his hand is covered with leprosy. 
Then he says, now put it back in. So he puts it back in, pulls it back out, and it's, and it's whole again. Well, man, that's exciting. Then the third miraculous way, number three, so you got one staff. Number two is, the, is his hand. Number three is the Nile River. So he gets a little bit of the Nile River, and God says, now just take it in your cup and pour it out. And so as he begins to pour it out, it becomes blood. So the three things are staff, hand, and blood. God is silencing Moses' excuses and arguments that he can't make a difference, that he can't be the one that can bring God's message to a lost and dying people. God will never ask you to do something without enabling you to do it. He will never ask you to do something without enabling you to do it. When I became a Christian, I was baptized on a Saturday morning because I told the preacher, I don't go in front of people and do anything. Really? That's what I told the preacher. So he met me on a Saturday morning and baptized me at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning. So he said, now you, got, you need to come forward tomorrow and let's, let's let the church know what you did. So I reluctantly did that, but you know, I was kind of new in my faith, and so, you know, I felt, okay, I can do this, so I go forward. Then a couple of years later, he says, you know, well, I think you ought to be a preacher. He said, there's plenty of football players, but there's not enough preachers. And I said, so? I want to play football. I don't want to preach. God had a different plan. And so when Grant Taft didn't call me and recruit me to play at Baylor University like one of the alumni said he was, off to Bible college I went, and I haven't looked back. 37 years later, here I am. Still preaching, still doing, and yet, I don't like going in front of people. And you may, you may find that hard to believe, but I still have a hard time going in front of people. But God will not give you something to do that He won't enable you to do. He'll give you the strength. He will give you the tools. Now, I've had to learn. I've had to learn how to do this, but it's not easy. But there's a heavy discussion between God and Moses, and then in Exodus chapter 4, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. There was a guy in college, that, uh, he was such a great speaker. You know, he had that kind of voice that you would just love to... I love the Lego trailer where uh, Morgan Freeman is... Uh, playing, I guess, Moses, and he says, uh, I'm the guy with a voice that can read the phone book and still make it sound interesting, you know, because <laughs> he just has that kind of voice. Some people have that. Paul Harvey was that way. But he didn't just happen. I, they work at it. They work at it. And so Moses began to say, I, I'm slow of speech. Most people think that he had a speech impediment. He stuttered. He's got this legitimate question. I mean, really. But look what God says to him. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. You see, God let him know that we've, I've got everything under control. I'm going to cover what you need. And I'm going to give you the strength and the skills to get it done. Go. And Moses said, send somebody else. Boy, it sounds a lot like us. 
Sounds like us. But the Bible says the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And the Lord said, here's, here's, what I'm gonna, here's what's going to happen. You're going to leave my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt in this large, massive exodus. If you will, and I'll have your brother Aaron be your spokesperson. He will speak on your behalf. But you will tell him what to say. So I read that passage a couple of times this week, and it really motivated me to be more obedient and trusting when God prompts me to do something. So when I feel the prompting, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm moving on it. How many of you feel promptings and you don't do anything about them? It's okay. You, you can admit. I do. I have. But this week, I'm starting to do them. This week, when I feel that prompting of the Spirit, I'm doing it. Uh, it was to talk to somebody this week, so I sat and had lunch. They stood me up, didn't come, but that's okay. I did my part. And you see, when God prompts you, you do your part. Now, if they don't respond on the other end, that's, that's not your problem. But we've got to do what God wants us to do, and He will enable us to do it, even though we may not be, it may not be a pleasant thing. Just go. So God, God's request of Moses to be His mouthpiece can be pretty intimidating. In fact, the number two fear of Americans is, is that of death because the number one fear of Americans is public speaking. Jerry Seinfeld said, we're more afraid of being the person giving the eulogy at the funeral than the person in the casket. The Bible is so honest and it's so real and it, it usually doesn't candy coat the story at all, does it? It is very clear what needs to be done in order to get your life right with God. But perhaps you've felt like Moses. I know I have at times. and I know sometimes I feel like I'm, I can't make a difference. In, maybe, maybe you feel like you can't make a difference in your work environment or maybe you're too busy to help those that are hurting. People that have been ravaged by storms. Maybe you don't feel gifted to encourage the elderly who live on your street. I mean, that's just not the way I am. You've got the wrong person, Lord, and we begin to sound like Moses talking to the God of the universe. He knows how many hairs are on our head, and for me, <laughs> fewer than there used to be. But He knows that too. You must have the wrong person. You've got to be kidding, Lord. Surely not me. Surely there's somebody else. But I want you to notice... When Moses puts all of his excuses before the Lord, God never says, you know, Moses, I appreciate your humility. God never does say, you know, I'm encouraged by the humility I see coming from you, Moses. <laughs> no, the Bible says that God gets angry. See, it wasn't humility, it was self-focus. Insecurity is not humility, it's pride. It's too much focus on yourself what happened to the Denver Broncos is they put all their stock in number 18 because everybody said number 18 warmer weather wow he's going to have a big day they can't even get the opening snap off right Lord's trying to deal with this young man. He's trying to deal with it. But the problem with our excuses and our whatever, it's all about I, 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 I. But something happens. Moses changes. He becomes obedient. Goes to Pharaoh. 
the leader of Egypt, who has millions of Israelites under slavery, and most historians, and I found this to be extremely interesting, most historians believe that since this was around 1450 B.C., that the Pharaoh at this time was Thutmose. And you might say, well, what's the big deal about Thutmose? Actually, it's Thutmose III. Well, here's the thing. Most historians believe that this would have been Moses' half-Egyptian brother. Isn't that interesting? So they would have grown up together in the palace and 40 years have passed. Here's this shepherd, Moses, 80 years old, showing up, standing before this king and says, the Lord God says, let my people go. It's like Winston Churchill staring down Hitler and telling Parliament, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be, we shall never surrender. It's like Ronald Reagan saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Moses, standing before Pharaoh on behalf of God, says, let my people go. Pharaoh looks back at Moses and he says, because you have made this request, do you know what I'm going to do? Moses says, yeah, you're going to let them go. He says, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to take these Israelite slaves and I'm going to make sure that they continue to make the same number of bricks that they're required to make every day. But from now on, because of what you've said, we're not going to provide the straw anymore. They're going to have to get the straw and make the bricks themselves. So we're going to double up on them. So Moses leaves and the Israelites hear the story and they say, oh, thanks Moses. Thanks a million. Here we thought you were coming to get us out and now we're going to have work double and oh, I thanks so much. But Moses doesn't stop there. He begins a series of visits to Pharaoh and with some of them appear to get Pharaoh's attention, soften his heart. None of them stick. He refuses to let the Israelites go. And over a period of time, these major plagues that God brought upon the Egyptians look like this. The first one is that the Nile River turns to blood. The second was frogs everywhere, followed by gnats everywhere. And then it becomes a plague of swarms of flies and then diseased livestock, then boils all over their skin, then thunderstorms of hail, and then locusts, and then darkness. And this final plague finally changes Pharaoh's heart because it's the one that hits closest to home. And you've got to understand what happens here. After plague number nine, Pharaoh says, I don't even want to ever see you again, Moses. And if I do, I will kill you. Exodus 11, 4, Moses says, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. The Bible says that Moses is hot with anger. This is now or never moment. He lays it out to Pharaoh and he says, this is the way it's going to be. And that tenth plague happened just as God told Moses it would. The death of every firstborn and the pain that it caused every home rocked all of Egypt. Whether you're old or young, if you are a firstborn male in your family, would you stand up? If you were the firstborn male in your family, stand up. If this were today, look around you, look around you right quick. If this were today, none of these men would be with us. You can sit down. None of these men would be with us. 
We'd lose some pretty good men, wouldn't we? I would have lost my oldest brother and I would not have my oldest son, Jeff. That makes it come home. Can you imagine the pain that the Egyptian families felt? I mean, really. That doesn't get your attention. I don't know what will. To lose those people in one night, just like that. That's why throughout all the chapters in Exodus that we read this week again and again, God says, and they will know that I am the Lord. So this massive exodus begins. Pharaoh gives Moses permission to take these two or three million Hebrews and leave a life of slavery. And they're led out of Egypt by Moses as God directs them on what route to take. But sometime after Pharaoh has let them go, his heart hardens again. And he says, what did I just do? I turned loose all of my free labor. So he gathers the Egyptian troops and he says, hey, we're going after them. And he didn't, he didn't have to speak very loud because most of them had lost somebody. And they were angry. And so 600 chariots got together and off they went to get these Jews and bring them back, these Hebrews. But let me ask you something. You ever tried to go somewhere with five or ten people? And you're going to walk half a mile and you've got to walk past a bunch of stores in different places. <laughs> you ever tried to keep them together? Can you imagine two million? I remember the first time we went to Six Flags with a bunch of teenagers years and years and years ago. This mom, I thought she looked like an octopus. She had three children, all pretty close to age, and she had this apparatus around her side, around her midsection. And off of each of these was a tether. And at the end of that tether was one of those three kids. And I never will forget, she was walking just straight on, and those kids were everywhere <laughs> grabbing. <laughs> but they only had so far they could go. She stayed right in the middle, and it kept them from getting stuff. And they were all out there going. And then she'd get past them, and they'd feel the tug, and they'd come running, and they'd run in front. It was the funniest-looking thing I've ever seen. I just thought, I wonder if they're going to start doing around her in circles and trip her up. But can you imagine two or three million people being led by this one guy? Directs them to go to a place. All of a sudden they look up in the direction that they're moving. They're pinned in by water on all sides except behind them. And they turn around behind them and here comes the Egyptians marching over the hill. And they're, <laughs> Moses, thanks a lot. Not enough graves in Egypt for us, huh? Is that what you're thinking? And Where'd you go, Moses? We could have stayed back there and been slaves and died easier than this. But this man of insecurity and inadequacy, this shepherd who struggles with public speaking, Exodus 14, 13, don't be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. He will bring you today. And in one of the most famous miracles of the Old Testament, God instructs Moses to raise his staff over the Red Sea and it parts. And the great winds hold it together, hold, it, hold up the sides so they can go across on dry land. It would be like going to the Mississippi River and, and it split. And you walk across. That would be, be an amazing thing to see. And the powerful winds held those waves on each side while the children of Israel walked through. Can you imagine being the first group to walk through? <laughs> you, can see the, you can see the whale swim up to the corner and not, not come through. 
and look at you? Yeah. Whew. Just, just fathom that for a minute. The Israelites realize that they're free at last, free at last. There's no more slavery for them. It's as God says, I'm the Lord, but don't miss this. God knew what was going to what was doing back months before when he chose Moses. Moses throws up all these excuses, but Moses is the perfect choice for what God needed done right now. He'd gone through all of the education. He'd gone through all he'd seen how to handle lots of people by watching Pharaoh in the palace, you see. So God was preparing him for this very moment. And God says the same to you and to me. When you feel unworthy and when you feel inadequate, just do as I say. Put your trust in me and see God delivers from slavery to freedom. God delivers. That's your first fill in. God delivers from slavery to freedom. Because the, th- the things that God does for Moses, He does for us today. And the first one is God delivers from slavery to freedom. The second one is God delivers from despair to hope. And the fact that God wants us to be set free is God's story. His deliverance gives us freedom now, but it also gives us hope for the future. And then the third thing that God was teaching Moses that He's teaching us today is that God delivers from death to life. John 10.10 says, I have come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Today, you can have eternal life and abundant life in Christ. You may have already made that decision some years ago, and you may have named Him as your Savior and been to the waters of baptism and risen to walk in a new life. and That's awesome. But now you've been struggling because maybe you've slipped away from that relationship you used to have. But back in our story of Exodus, it really gives us a preview of salvation and the resurrection. Because when the Israelites are brought out of Egypt, God's saying that no amount of human power can stop him from fulfilling his plan. And when Christ comes out of the grave, the same message is there. God is saying that no amount of human power can stop him from fulfilling his plan. So even the greatest leaders of this world will soon die. Hitler's dead. Hugo Chavez is dead. The guys in Iran, they're going to die. But what we need to pray for is that they find Jesus. We need to pray for that. I mean, I need to pray. Yes, you need to pray for it. Because we can't leave this story without talking about that tenth plague for a second. How the children of Israel were spared. God commanded the Israelites to be prepared to flee Egypt in the evening of the death angel. They were to eat bread. They were to eat bread that was that had no leaven in it, so it wouldn't have to worry about giving it time to rise. They were also supposed to kill a lamb and sprinkle the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of their house, and that would be a sign to the death angel to skip that house, to pass over that house, which then leads us to the Jewish festival of Passover that they still, they still recognize and honor today. <coughs> But the Passover meal is done to remember and remind them of the angel that passed over them. It was the lamb's blood that protected them. And still, 
Every year since then, even to this day, 3,500 years later, the Jews annually celebrate that Passover. They eat unleavened bread, they use the very same herbs, and, and they use lamb, and that's what they are prescribed to eat on this first Passover night, and that's what they do still every year. And it's that same Passover meal that Jesus was eating with His disciples the night He was betrayed and the night before His crucifixion in Luke 22, 7 and 8, when He said, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And then at that meal, Jesus said, He held up the bread and He said, This is My body. He held up the cup. He said, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, he says. So I want to pause for just a moment and have our men come and pass out the emblems. Don't want you to take them. I want you to hold them. And we're going to take them together in unison. Just So men, if you'd come and, and do that. And then I'll lead us in what we're going to do. Just take one of each and hold them. I want you to take the little piece of bread. I want to take a look at it. And remember that Jesus held up the piece of unleavened bread as he met around the Passover meal. And he said, this is my body which will be broken for you. So take the bread just now. And then he held up the chalice. And he said, this represents my blood, which will be shed for many. So participate in taking of the juice.
in the Jewish tradition of Passover, what we have done is actually participated in the Passover remembrance of the Lamb. He would pay for all the sins that were ever committed and ever will be committed, including ours. So the question is, how can we be saved today? How can we be saved? And the answer is the same, that the Israelites were saved by the blood of the Lamb. That's how we're saved. 1 Corinthians 5-7 makes it very clear. For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. And just as the Israelites sprinkled the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of their houses so that the death angel would pass over, so we sprinkle the blood of Jesus on our hearts and we are forgiven, we are free, we are alive, and we're given the promise of eternal life. And so we have taken communion. And we tend to think it's just part of the New Testament. But it really is an Old Testament teaching. And we have participated in that. And we have connected with Christ and His shed blood. The blood of the Lamb covers our sin. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But if you take your cups and pass them to the center here, the men will come by and collect those. Can you imagine the weeping and the wailing of the parents whose oldest sons collapsed. And yet, God provided. As long as they had the blood of the Lamb over their doorposts, they were safe. And so I would say to you, as long as you have the blood of the Lamb, sprinkled over your life and over your heart, you're going to be okay. Pray with me as we move toward our time of invitation and commitment. Father, we ask You, as we have taken the unleavened bread and we've taken a drink of some of the juice, these are reminders for us of how much You love us. And we remember that You are a God that loved us enough to send a Passover lamb who took care of our sins. And so death will pass over us because we have that blood covering us. And so, having taken the emblems, Lord, we're reminded of your story that you have been unfolding for centuries and how it intersects with our story. And Lord, we pray that communion will take on a deeper meaning for us from this weekend forward. And God, there may be somebody here in this group today 
who needs to know you as their Savior. But they've been afraid or they don't understand. God, we would love that opportunity to sit down and to study your word with them on what that means. And God, we pray that you would give us that opportunity. But Father, more than anything, we are just so grateful for our Passover lamb, Jesus. And so God, today, if anybody needs to make a decision, would you give them courage to do it? In Jesus we pray. Amen.